Greetings, folks, from the communist Marxist totalitarian state of California, where I'm broadcasting to you from. Well, uh, today's supposed to be a momentous occasion, folks, a glorious day. It's, it's June 15th. Well, yesterday was June 15th. Yesterday was the glorious occasion. But today is another glorious occasion because today is supposed to mark the day of our freedom, of our emperor, Gavin Newsom, and those in the government, the elected officials who are supposed to be our servants, giving us back our right to breathe in free, uninhibited oxygen into our lungs. That's right, folks. June 15th yesterday was the designated arbitrary date that Gavin Newsom has allowed and permitted Americans in California to remove their masks from their faces. What a glorious day, folks. Of course, none of that's true. That it's a glorious day, that is. Um, while many Californians, of course, the vaccinated ones, are celebrating this momentous occasion, uh, like they have Stockholm Syndrome, of course, and they are so giddy with excitement that their emperor, Newsom, has finally given them the go-ahead to remove the masks from their faces, well, they think that the oppression and the tyranny is over. Their freedom has been given back to them. But not for everyone, folks. Um, this actually isn't a, a glorious occasion. It doesn't mark... Uh, the end of tyranny and oppression, but it actually marks the beginning of a new pre-1964 era of discrimination. That's right, discrimination is back in vogue. For 244 years plus of American history in which we fought, in which Americans, 600,000 plus, died in the Civil War to create a new perfect union, in which great Americans like Martin Luther King Jr., waged a peaceful civil rights movement to finally fulfill that American creed of uh, freedom and equality for all, well, it was uh, for nothing as of today. Because as of today in California, employers are carrying out the discriminatory practices of the new edict by Newsom to grant the vaccinated rights and withhold those rights from those who have refused to stick their arms and receive the COVID vaccine. Now, you know what's amazing is, is a person who loves history and respects this magnificent country, the greatest country in the world, by the way, and I'll never stop saying that, this is the greatest country on the face of the earth. Well, I often like to imagine what things were like before. I imagine the period of our, our revolution, what the colonists had experienced, what they sacrificed, how difficult that period was. I think about Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War and how painful that would have been for every American. No American at that time after the Civil War uh, was without loss. No American was spared from the casualties and the impacts of the Civil War on their family on their own personal lives. Even if they didn't fight in the war, they knew someone who had died, a brother, a sister, a father. And I think about, too, a period that people my age, 34, the millennial generation, we, we don't know what that's like. We don't understand what even the period in the civil rights movement was. We have no idea. 
We can't imagine that there was segregation in this country. We can't imagine that black Americans were prohibited from entering and eating at white establishments, that there were separate water fountains, separate bathrooms, separate schools, all because of the color of one's skin. But we don't have to imagine what that period was like anymore because that period is here. I actually want to share an email with you all, my friends, patriots, that I received my from my employer here in the Marxist state of California. It is looking near certain, the email reads, that the new protocols will allow advantages to all vaccinated employees and continue some restrictions for unvaccinated employees and guests. So please take advantage of the many opportunities to get your vaccination now. I encourage anyone already vaccinated to get a copy of their vaccine card to their managers to avoid any unvaccinated restrictions in our workplace. How about that, folks? Unvaccinated restrictions, vaccinated rights. We are living in a new period of discrimination, as I have said, and this is the new civil rights movement of our time. It is absolutely appalling, it's disgusting, it's repulsive, it's vile that these, this email was sent. And this woman, by the way, should be fired from her job for sending out that email. Anyone who uses this kind of language and embraces and supports this sort of discrimination should be fired, ridiculed, and forced out of their positions. It shouldn't be the unvaccinated who are punished. It should be these totalitarians who are carrying out the discriminatory practice that is supported by these totalitarian politicians like Gavin Newsom. If this was the period of the 1950s and early 60s, these individuals would be forcing black Americans out of the restaurants. They would be forcing black Americans away from white water fountains. And you know why they would be doing it? Because the government told them to do it. And of course, this is the attitude of the left in this country. They, they are willing to comply with anything the government says. You know, this country, it was stated by the founders, even Adams himself, that no constitutional system could survive without both religion and morality, which were, according to them, inseparable. They went together. And because the government says so is not a reason, it, it, it cannot supplant morality and rationality what is right just because the government and someone who is wrong and evil and amoral tells you to do it. I mean, slavery was once the law of the land in this country. The slaveholders that continued that practice because the government said it was okay weren't moral. They weren't righteous. They weren't doing the right thing because the government said it was okay. Nor were those shop owners and restaurant owners in the period of before the civil rights movement and during the civil rights movement who did the same and discriminated against black people because it was legal and lawful. So now, the unvaccinated and our workplaces are going to be compelled, well, they're going to try, not, well, over my dead body, I'll say, but they will try to now 
Here's, here's how I look at it, folks. You know, I've, we've talked about this a lot. But this last year with COVID uh, has, has certainly had the intended effect. It's been successful at causing many Americans in this country to change the way they view the relationship with the government. For these Americans, like this individual, this totalitarian who sent this email out, uh, our rights are not unalienable. They don't believe in the Constitution. To them, our rights come from man. They come from government. This is obviously un-American, anti-American, and it's uh, amoral. But here we go now. I'm going to go into work tomorrow, and I'm going to be asked to present my proof of vaccination. And I'm going to say I, I haven't been vaccinated. I don't have proof of vaccination. And this individual is going to say to me, well, if you don't get vaccinated, you're going to continue to wear a mask at work while the vaccinated enjoy their freedom and benefits of taking their masks off their faces. This is government coercion. And this is a hill to die on. If you're looking for a hill to die on, by the way, and haven't found it, this is one I would recommend to you. Because it's not just... Well, what's very disheartening to me is I have had conversations with supposed people on the right who, who are supposed to be on our side, and they suggest I get vaccinated. They suggest I just wear a mask. To them, this is no big deal. So what? You have to wear your mask. That's just the way it is. So just get vaccinated, and that's the way to go. I don't understand how these individuals are missing the bigger picture. How they're unwilling to fight for anything, that nothing is worth fighting for. Nothing is that big a deal. And they don't seem to see or understand the gravity of this situation. This will be the straw that breaks the camel's back, so to speak. And what I mean by that is there are many Americans, like myself, who have held out and been strong throughout the past year and a half, this un-American experiment. I don't accept the transformation of my role and the government. I don't accept my role as servant. I don't accept the un-American belief that my rights come from my employer, from any mortal man or woman, or any government. They are still unalienable. And yet too many Americans have just so easily decided to give that up because it's an inconvenience. They don't want to fight. And yet I would remind these individuals that this country was built on people who are willing to fight. What if our founding fathers had said, well, you know, I mean, we don't want to get into it with King George III. I mean, this is an uphill battle. He's got the greatest navy in the world. He's one of the, you know, Britain has one of the premier fighting forces in all of history. Um, you know, it's just, it'd be easier just to give in to King George III's demands and just bend the knee. That's not the attitude of an American. What if, during the period of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln had simply said, well, you know, um, you know we, we, we should just kind of cave in. We've had slavery all this time. Uh, we'll just continue it because the other side is threatening that if we go through with this, if we try and eradicate slavery from this country, uh, well, you know, they've already said they're going to secede. They've already said that um, they won't tolerate it, and, and it could come to war. So let's just go along to get along. We've had slavery for a long time. Let's not rock the boat. It's not worth fighting for. It's not worth losing lives over. Um, 
Let's just continue to be a country that's divided on the basis of slavery. And what if Martin Luther King Jr., by the way, had had a similar attitude? What if he had said, well, look, you know, black Americans have come a long way. You know, we're not slaves anymore. But, um, you know, we can, we can deal with this. You know, it's an inconvenience that we can't go in white restaurants and eat. Uh, it's an inconvenience that we have to use separate water fountains, that we can't use their bathrooms, that we have separate schools. But at least we have an education. Uh, we still have our own schools. We have our own water fountains. And, you know, who cares if we can't eat in white establishments? You know, what's the big deal? You know, if we're going to go down this road, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to be, it's going to require a lot of sacrifice. I mean, we're going to have to get into civil disobedience. We're going to have to start organizing people to do sit-ins in white restaurants. The police are going to come in uh, and we're going to look, you know, really bad and people are going to be upset with us and mad at us. Who cares? You know, we've come a long way. It's not that big a deal. Well, let me try and put into perspective this way with the masks. Actually, before we get into the masks, uh, I want to explain the stupidity of the masks to begin with. The idea that we, the unvaccinated, should be forced to wear, wear masks over our faces is absurd in its face because they don't work, of course, and I'm going to prove that to you. But there's something else. Do you know it's going to be 100, 108 degrees over the next three days here, and I'll be working outside, outdoors, under the sun? And I'm supposed to wear a mask over my, my face, sweating, bacteria forming in there. Yeah, that's a really healthy alternative. That's really looking out for my well-being. But you know, that's my punishment because I refuse to be coerced. I refuse to bend the knee to what the government demands. And that's where we are, folks. All this, what this boils down to is that we now live in a society in which so many Americans believe that, well, we have to do X to get our rights. We have to do this to receive our unalienable rights. You have to get vaccinated so that you don't have to wear a mask. If you can't understand how dangerous this idea is, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I'm, I'm at a loss for words because to me it seems uh, blatantly obvious at how absurd this is and how sick it is, how vile it is. Uh, but hopefully I can persuade you in this episode to come over to the light and be enlightened and understand. But I want to get into the masks because if we're going to attack the root of this problem where they're suggesting that because I'm not vaccinated, I'm a risk, right? Well, I want to actually give a hat tip to Daniel Horowitz. You know, he's over the blaze. That guy is bold and unapologetic. That guy's got a fire in his belly. And uh, I want to thank him because he's been a champion and he's been it's been a lonely fight for him because he's been talking about some of these issues that I'm talking about now for a year. And he's been the most outspoken advocate of uh, American freedom over the last year, as far as I'm concerned. So uh, this is from Daniel Horowitz research, all right, from March 12th, 2021. And this is about masks. So OSHA, of course, is the Occupational Safety Health <clears throat> Administration, okay? Of course, they're the, they're the bureaucracy, the regulatory agency of the United States Department of Labor that uh, is the strong arm that inspects, examines workplaces <clears throat> initially, and they kind of give the orders and recommendations by which these companies are supposed to conduct uh, work. And OSHA, of course, has now decided that the vaccinated don't have to wear masks and the unvaccinated have to wear masks based on the recommendations. But I want to look at what a farce and a joke this OSHA is and how politicized and corrupt they are. Because this is what OSHA had to say back in May of 2009 with regards to uh, wearing masks on their faces. This is from the OSHA fact sheet in 2009. Surgical masks, OSHA writes, 
are not designed or certified to prevent the inhalation of small airborne contaminants. And OSHA goes on to say their ability to filter small particles varies significantly based upon the type of material used to make the surgical mask, so they cannot be relied upon to protect workers against airborne infectious agents. Let me say that again. The mask cannot be relied upon to protect workers against airborne infectious agents. That's 2009. Let's go to 2011. This is a training video from OSHA. So masks, face masks, are not designed or certified to seal tightly against your face or to prevent the inhalation of small airborne contaminants. They go on. The narrator, during inhalation, small airborne contaminants pass through gaps between the face and the face mask and the material of the mask. Remember, face masks are not considered respirators and do not provide respiratory protection. That was 2011. Let's look at December 20th, 2017, an OSHA letter from a worker requesting clarification of their uh, respiratory standards. OSHA says, surgical masks do not seal tightly to the wearer's face, nor do they provide a reliable level of protection from inhaling smaller airborne particles. So there we have it uh, from 2009 to 2017. So almost a decade, uh, they swear that masks don't prevent, uh, aren't a good source of respiratory protection, of course. And when they talk about asbestos, uh, they talk about asbestos particles being an average of five microns. And so those are actually much larger than the COVID-2 uh, uh, micron size. And yet for asbestos, they swore that those masks wouldn't prevent five microns. But for COVID, which is even smaller, uh, now they want to suggest that these masks work. So after a decade of saying that they don't work, on January 29th, 2021, gee, I wonder why. Here's their new guidance on preventing the spread of COVID-19 in the workplace. So here I got the paper. All right. The main function of a face covering is to protect those around you in case you are infected but not showing symptoms. Studies show that face coverings reduce the spray of droplets when worn over the nose and mouth. Now this is contrary to everything they've said and sworn by for a decade. So now they have come around and changed their mind. So here we go. Although not their primary value, studies also show that face coverings can reduce wearer's risk of infection in certain circumstances depending upon the face covering. You should wear a face covering even if you do not feel sick. So these masks were ineffective for uh, over a decade. And then all of a sudden OSHA changes their position and says, uh, oh yeah, you should wear them even if you don't feel sick to protect yourself. So this is an absolute farce. And it's why I've been saying for, well, over a year now that these masks are nothing more than virtue signaling symbols of your obedience and your subversion to uh, the, the government. It's nothing more than a symbol of oppression and subservience is what I actually meant to say. And uh, we know masks don't work. Hell, I mean, we know the vaccine doesn't even seem to work. I mean, we got John Rahm, uh, the golfer, of course, who dropped out of the Memorial Tournament uh, just recently because of a positive COVID-19 test. And then, of course, we got Bill Maher, who got the vaccine, who had to shut down his show for, I don't know how, a couple episodes or something because he tested positive for COVID. And then, of course, we had the two fully vaccinated passengers on a, on a all-vaccinated Royal Caribbean cruise 
who tested positive for COVID-19 as well who were asymptomatic? Well, I don't know. You know, I haven't had any symptoms of COVID since the outbreak started. So I guess maybe I've been asymptomatic as well. I mean, the odds are pretty good that I had COVID at some point. So if the uh, individuals who have gotten the vaccine are still testing positive for COVID-19 and are asymptomatic, and the unvaccinated may also be asymptomatic, well, why would you have the um, vaccinated remove their masks? Because they could also spread the virus, and you just wouldn't know unless you tested everyone for COVID every day coming into work. This is absolute insanity, folks. But it's amazing, too, because in the John Rahm situation, uh, so, so uh, powerful are the powers that be who are forcing us to try and, at every point, be pro-vaccine. Um, John Rahm actually explained, so, so he drops out of the Memorial Tournament, and uh, they were asking him why he didn't get vaccinated. And of course, John Rahm said that he actually had been vaccinated. But then John Rahm went on to bend the knee to these uh, COVID fanatics. Uh, and he said that, well, he wished he'd gotten the COVID vaccine earlier because, you know, he was still within the 14-day window following his shot. And thus, he wasn't considered fully vaccinated. So as a result, he wasn't exempt he was not exempt uh, from the PGA Tour's contact tracing protocols and was therefore required to be tested daily. So he wasn't in the 14-day window. But Bill Maher, of course, was in the 14-day window. These two fully vaccinated passengers uh, who tested positive for COVID on the Royal Caribbean cruise uh, were past the 14-day window, and uh, they still tested positive for COVID. So this is an absolute joke. And this should show you how ludicrous, how insane, and how irrational all of this is to begin with. So what difference does it make if you're vaccinated or not fully vaccinated if you can also, if you can still test positive for COVID? But they get to take their masks off, and we don't. You know, the mask was never about health. That's what I've been saying all, all along, you know, a symbol of fear and oppression. And of course, I mentioned in the last episode, if you're just joining me for the first time, you can go back and listen, but I'll tell you the, the bits and pieces that matter here. You know, in Nazi Germany, of course, uh, the symbol was the Star of David. And uh, in rural India right now, it's the skull and crossbones. What am I talking about with the skull and crossbones? Well, you know, police in rural India are requiring those who haven't gotten vaccinated to wear a skull and crossbones to identify themselves as being unvaccinated. And right now, it's the mask here in California and in many parts of the country. If you haven't been vaccinated, you have to continue to wear your mask to show that you haven't been vaccinated. This is so, so sick. It's all theater, folks, and it's always been theater. I mean, you've got members of Congress gathered together uh, for what looks like some kind of class photo uh, just the other day, and they're being photographed holding a moment of silence for those who died from COVID. Well, you know, when was the last time they did this for World War II heroes who gave their lives for the cause of freedom? Or the, the soldiers and Americans, nearly the same number, 600,000 plus, who gave their lives during the Civil War? No, no, but they're, they're taking a moment of silence for the COVID victims. Do you know that 600,000 Americans die annually from cancer? And 600,000 Americans also die annually from heart disease? Where's the moment of silence for those folks? Or how about the Americans who committed suicide 
because of the lockdowns? How about the Americans who lost their business and jobs because they were forced to close their businesses by totalitarian dictators like Gavin Newsom? No. And of course, those who supported these lockdowns, the closures of restaurants, uh, these mask mandates, they didn't follow them themselves. Remember when Gavin Newsom, of course, went to the French Laundry and was photographed in a private dinner inside, everyone maskless, with, I don't know, nine plus people, while he was telling the rest of us that we could not dine indoors and we had to mask in between bites. How about Nancy Pelosi, who told us we couldn't go in salons and get our hair done for fear of killing the beautician, going into a hair salon without a mask and getting her hair done with a beautician. These people weren't afraid. They understood all along. But you and I, the gullible American citizen, were taken along for the ride of our lifetimes, a ride that led to our servitude. How about John Kerry? Do you remember him? Captured in that photograph on a plane in business class with no mask on his face. And yet no one said a word to John Kerry. Meanwhile, children who can't be expected to understand or follow orders, who had masks off their faces while they were eating or took them off themselves or whatever else. I mean, they're toddlers. You know, their parents and the children were thrown off planes. People were arrested for not wearing masks in some cases, but not John Kerry, of course. No, no, he wasn't a normal American like us. He was above it all. But John Kerry apparently wasn't fearful of COVID. He wasn't uh, fearful of dying. He wasn't fearful of spreading the virus because he sat in his comfortable business class seat with his mask off his face. And you know what, folks? This isn't even over with a mask. Because you may say, well, I'm vaccinated, so I'm past it. Ah, think again, folks. This is not done because once you give up your freedom, it never comes back. It's very difficult to get it back. So now they're laying the groundwork, by the way. They're suggesting that we should wear masks during flu season and cold season even because, you know, we got to prevent the flu. we got to prevent the common cold. We've got to prevent death itself from happening, death and disease. You know, we're going to conquer all of that by wearing masks on our faces. You know, why don't we just make it illegal to die? Why don't we ban death and disease? Do you understand that people die in car wrecks every day, walking across the street, falling off ladders? Should we ban all these things in order to save a life if it saves one life? Why don't we make cars illegal if it'll just save one life? You know, when I was, uh, when I was in middle school, I was a member of the National Junior Honor Society. I mean, obviously, I was a member, member of the National Junior Honor S Society with all this brilliance. But uh, Governor Abbott actually came, the, the governor of Texas, uh, came and spoke to us. He wasn't governor at the time, of course. I forget what his position was, but, you know, he was obviously a, a successful individual in the Texas government at the time, even back then. And, uh, you know, I, if I remember correctly, uh, he told the story about how he came to be in a wheelchair. And you know how he came to be in a wheelchair? He was out running and a tree fell on him. A freak accident. Well, why don't we ban running? Why don't we ban sports? Because, you know, it's unfair that Governor Abbott had to go through what he had to go through. If he hadn't been running on that day and that tree hadn't fallen on him, uh, he wouldn't be sitting in a wheelchair today. Ban leaving the home. Ban everything. Just do what the government tells us for our safety so we can live longer, so we can escape hardship. This is what people don't understand. 
If this uh, discrimination is allowed to proceed, it will open the floodgates. It will set the precedent for the government being able to coerce us into doing anything to receive rights in the name of public health and safety. When it comes to climate change, what's to stop them from coercing us to drive electric vehicles in the name of saving the planet? I mean, look, the planet's a much bigger deal. All of mankind is a much bigger deal than this one pandemic. I mean, you know, if they can force us to shut our businesses down and hide in our homes and have curfews between the hours of 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. and wear masks on our faces because of COVID, well, what can't they coerce us into doing to save humanity itself because of global warming. This is the reality. This is why it's so serious. All right, I'm going to take a short break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about this uh, summer of freedom that the Biden administration wants us to celebrate as we come out of the dark tunnel of COVID. Or will we? This is Drew Allen, and I'll be right back. Rush Limbaugh. There's only one Rush Limbaugh, and he is the GOAT. Uh, I only use that intro occasionally uh, to honor him, and uh, because I admire him so much, and uh, you know his memory must live on for all time, as long as I'm alive. Anyway, uh, you know he's right up there with the greatest American patriots in our history, and uh, he was a wonderful man and an inspiring man. And frankly, I like listening to that song because I come back to these programs and study them as well, my own program, because, you know, if you're just joining me for the first time, you know, this is only the uh, the 12th episode, I believe, we're up to in this venture into podcasting for me. And, um, you know, every show gets better. It must get better uh, because I I I want to be the best I can do. And I really am enjoying this. So I'm, I'm, I'm honing my own craft here. And using all the experience I've had uh, preceding me in different career paths and so on and so forth, and putting it in, into this program. And, um, you know, not only does every program get better here, but uh, every, every episode is more important than the last. And that's not anything positive or, or that's not a pat on the back for me. Uh, that's just to say that, you know, things continue to, to spiral out of control. And unfortunately, Every episode is more important because the stakes continue to get higher and higher for this country and for all of us. And uh, I really take this seriously, um, obviously to keep things entertaining and fun for the audience, but also because you know I love this country, I care about this country, and I, I am I am determined to do my duty as an American citizen to leave this country better than the one that I inherited. And so that's why I sit here and that's why I talk to you all. Um, so there's so much irony every day, of course. Um, you know, you can hear this stack of stuff. We've got a lot to get through here, and, and we're, well, we'll get to it, folks. But I want to read a headline. This is from the Washington AP, and, and just stick with me. I'll get to the point in a second. It, it plays into what we've talked about for the last uh, half hour. A summer of freedom. A vaccine gives new meaning to July 4th. Here we go, folks. Just buckle up, buckle in, 
and uh, sit in a nice comfortable chair because uh, this should uh, make you irate. President Joe Biden wants to imbue Independence Day with new meaning this year by encouraging nationwide celebrations to mark the country's effective return to normalcy after 16 months of coronavirus pandemic disruption and more than 600,000 lives lost. I'm going to stop there. It's not coronavirus pandemic disruption. The disruption uh, was caused by uh, the government's unconstitutional mandates and decisions to uh, destroy our lives and stop it uh, uh, in the midst of everything. So no, it wasn't, it wasn't the pandemic that disrupted it. It was the decisions that they made and the decisions that we agreed to follow that disrupted our lives. Uh, this was self-inflicted. Yes, it came from China. Yes, it's a tragedy. Yes, people lost their lives. Um, but of course, we did not follow the science. We were anti-science. And the cure was worse than the disease, just as Donald Trump said. He's been vindicated on everything so far, and he's vindicated on this as well. And, um, you know, of course, while President Joe Biden here is, uh, is wanting to uh, encourage nationwide celebration suddenly, which is a backpedaling, of course, from uh, the time before where he said, well, we'll see how things go before I give permission to celebrate July 4th. Well, you know, he can go to H-E double hockey sticks, of course, when he said that to us freedom-loving Americans that don't look to any government to tell us if we can barbecue or not with our families. But while he's saying he's encouraging celebrations to mark the country's effective return to normalcy, uh, he's only doing that for certain individuals uh, because he's discriminatory himself. We know that he's racist, but he also hates uh, Americans and uh, conservatives and anyone who speaks out against totalitarianism. So that's why, of course, uh, Christy Nome, the governor of North Dakota, uh, has not been permitted to hold a 4th of July celebration uh, by Mount Rushmore. So he's not encouraging her. He's actually um, uh, extinguishing that flame of excitement and hope to celebrate there. So let's continue. The White House is expressing growing certainty that July 4th will serve as a breakthrough moment in the nation's recovery. The planned celebration, well, let's go back. Still, so, so they're, they're talking about, you know, even though they're, you know, worried that the U.S. is expected to fall short of its goal of having 70% of adults vaccinated by the holiday. Well, you're, you're damn right. 70% of adults uh, aren't going to be vaccinated because uh, there are definitely more than 30% of us who uh, want you to eat you-know-what. And you're not going to tell us what to do. Uh, still, the pace of the nation's healing will be a stark contrast with the rest of the world struggling to vanquish the, the virus. You know what's amazing about this, by the way? I think the UK, oh goodness, I shouldn't get into this without the paper in front of me. But anyway, let's just say India has a vaccination rate of something around 3 or 4%. And um, uh, the UK, of course, is well above that. I think they're 40% plus. I mean, they could be well above. But the point is... The UK's uh, vaccination rate is drastically, you know, more, you know, more than tenfold probably that of India. And yet India's cases and deaths are declining at a rapid rate and the UK's are actually accelerating upwards. So, uh, yes, this vaccine is really doing some good work. So anyway, the planned celebration will be the largest event of Biden's presidency. Well, that's not hard. I mean, four people gathered together clapping would be a bigger celebration than Biden is used to in his presidency. But anyway, it's designed to demonstrate the nation's victory over the virus as COVID-19 cases and deaths drop to levels not seen since the first days of the outbreak. 
Oh, man. To celebrate the resumption of pre-pandemic life, Biden is looking to celebrate the July 4th holiday as a summer of freedom. Anyone who attends this uh, celebration, by the way, with Joe Biden is suffering from Stockholm Syndrome because he and his Democrat Party communist uh, B-A-S-T-A-R-D-S's uh, are the ones who have uh, destroyed our lives and made us suffer. So he plans to host first responders. <laughs> Please don't show up. Essential workers. They're still using essential workers, by the way. That's, that was uh, something I wrote about my book, Uncommon Sense, you know, how disgusting and discriminatory that was. You had essential workers and not essential workers, you know. Uh, so they were deeming, you know, who was valuable and who wasn't. And he's inviting military service members and their families on the South Lawn of the White House for a cookout and to watch the fireworks over the National Mall. More than 1,000 guests are expected. Well, if I'm a Democrat, you know, this is, this is absolutely irresponsible. Um, we do not want to see an uptick in cases here. Uh, you know, if you're the CNN and NBCs out there, you better treat Biden just like you did Trump when he had, you know, 100 people or a couple hundred people outside the Rose Garden. Because uh, this is this is unbelievable. If we have if we have if if a single life is lost after this uh, attendance of a thousand guests, um, you know he's got blood on his hands as far as I'm concerned. This is this is beyond the pale. So the plan shows the dramatic shift in thinking since Biden cautiously held out hope just three months ago that people might be able to hold small cookouts by the fourth. For most Americans, the reopening target was hit last month. By my, you know, this is so stupid. Let's just get to the point because uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna eviscerate these people like I am born to do. Now, officials say July 4th will serve as an unofficial kickoff to a new phase in the U.S. pandemic response. The federal government is looking to turn the page on the domestic public health crisis and focus on an economic and civic revival at home and marshaling support for vaccinations around the globe. So I just want to say that this is not a, a freedom celebration because America has not been uh, less free since, well, the period under King George III. So this July 4th, I actually hope as it approaches, we should celebrate because this, what we're actually celebrating is Independence Day, July 4th, 1776, when the American experiment uh, came into being in which we made the revolutionary uh, proclamation that our rights don't come from man, but they are unalienable. But this July 4th, uh, we have little to celebrate in terms of our present circumstances because we have seen our rights uh, overturned and we have a, a president, a faux president in office and a Democrat party who believes that our rights actually come from them. So this is actual baloney. This is actually disgusting. It makes me want to throw up. And, um, you know, while he's inviting a thousand guests, uh, which he says is safe, of course, you know, to watch the fireworks there, he won't allow anyone in uh, South Dakota. I think I said North Dakota earlier. Forgive me. That was a Biden slip of the tongue, like when he when he mixed up uh, Syria and Libya at the G7 summit, which we'll get to in a little bit. But I meant Governor Nome is the governor of South Dakota because that's actually. Um, where Mount Rushmore is. And that is the site which they have always had an annual July 4th celebration in which fireworks are exploding in the sky to celebrate July 4th. But because Governor Nome is a conservative and a Republican, she is forbidden from holding a similar thing. So this is disgusting. That in itself should tell you how repulsive this administration is. This is on par, of course, with uh, Biden attacking his, his enemies when he spied on journalists. 
when he uh, prevented uh, certain conservative and Republican nonprofits from getting their 401c statuses and held them up. Uh, when he, he went after people using the IRS, weaponizing them to go after his enemies and political opponents. This is what's happening today, and this is akin to what happens in totalitarian places like Nazi Germany or China or the USSR, for example. So that's who we have in office. Uh, so this is about punishment for Governor Nome, plain and simple. It's discriminatory, but what else is new? I'm going to be discriminated against tomorrow uh, when I go into work. So, uh, well, you know, Governor Nome, I, I'm, I'm in solidarity with you. So anyway, uh, that's what's going on there. That's an absolute um, disgusting thing that's going on. And uh, when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about some additional discrimination that's going on and continue this important uh, relation between the present administration and totalitarian re regimes throughout the country. Uh, we're going to talk about the insurrection BS that they will not give up. And we're going to talk about the last summer and then some of uh, BLM and Antifa riding in the streets. And we'll see, because Biden, of course, is saying that, you know, he's continuing to proclaim and his administration is continuing to proclaim that, you know, white domestic terrorists and Trump supporters are the greatest threat to this nation. But uh, we're going to put things in perspective. We're going to show that that's absolute lunacy and idiocy. But what would you expect from the uh, Democrat Party? They are the party of idiocy, lunacy, stupidity, irrationality, and they live on another planet of their own invention. All right. This is Drew Allen, and we're going to be right back for another segment. Your energy. I need your energy. This world is killing me. Light it up. Light it up. And we are back, folks. Uh, this is Drew Allen with you. So as I was saying in the last segment, President Joe Biden's administration, are you ready for this? announced their plans to create ways for Americans to report radicalized friends and family to the government in an effort to fight domestic terrorism. Well, <laughs> uh, this is going to be a hard segment, folks. Uh, I'm going to do my best here. I'm going to keep my head cool. Uh, I need your energy, as the song would say. Uh, in a conversation with reporters, one senior administration official explained the importance of stopping politically fueled violence before it started. Now, of course, he's not talking about BLM or Antifa and other Democrat uh, militarized arms of their own party. They're talking about Trump supporters. They're talking about people on the right. So here we go. The official side of the Department of Homeland Security's if you see something, say something campaign. Okay, I'm sorry. Do you remember Rudy Giuliani's stop and frisk? You know, did they not decry that as being racist? But now they, you know, if you see something, say something. I swear they've condemned this before, but now it's okay. Um, uh, as long as it's related to domestic uh, uh Terrorism, which is you, by the way, and, and me. I, I'm a domestic terrorist, apparently. 
So this involves creating contexts in which those who are family members or friends or coworkers know that there are pathways and avenues to raise concerns and seek help for those who they have perceived to be radicalizing and potentially radicalizing towards violence. Uh, I want to pause there. Uh, when has this ever worked, by the way? How many times have there been uh, mass shootings in this country in which we find out later that those individuals, uh, the FBI was aware of their existence. They were, they had even been reported to them. They had been involved in previous um, showings of violence in their own lives. And yet the FBI failed to follow up, failed to find any cause to bring those people in. And then, of course, they kill, you know, a dozen or so Americans. And we learn, oh, the FBI knew about them, but, you know, what are they supposed to do? I mean, they were reported. So anyway, I'm sure this is going to be wildly successful. So uh, anyway, Biden began his presidency with a stark warning in his inauguration speech about the rise in political extremism, white supremacy, domestic terrorism that we must confront and we will defeat. On June 1st, Biden described the threat from white supremacy as the most lethal threat to the homeland today. Can I, can I ask you an honest question? Uh, how many people have died because of white supremacy today? I mean, I know how many died of white supremacy in the past when uh, the Democrats were the white supremacists via the KKK, etc. I mean, they were responsible for many deaths. I mean, as a matter of fact, Joe Biden just went down to Tulsa to commemorate the Tulsa massacre, which took place in 1921, in which a bunch of Democrats uh, murdered uh, over 100 black Americans in Tulsa. So, uh, you know, I'm aware of that incident of white supremacy, but I'm not aware of any other instances of white supremacy today in which uh, many people have died. I'm definitely not certain that today it is uh, white supremacy, of course, is the greatest threat to the homeland. Uh, and while he's continuing this myth, peddling this lie that uh, white supremacy is the greatest threat to the homeland, uh, I, would, I would remind you of something uh, very important. So do you know that there were 14 days of protest? That, that would be two weeks for the liberal out there. 14 days, you know, there's seven days in a week. That's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That, that adds up to seven. So two of those weeks equals 14 for the liberal listening. And uh, so there were 14 days of protests after the death of George Floyd. 19, 19 people were killed. Most of them blacks, of course. And do you know that um, back in September of last year marked uh, 100 days of protests in Portland? That's 100 days straight of protesting. Uh, BLM, of course, uh, was protesting throughout this, this last year and six months or whatever it's been. And uh, they want to suggest because of the quote-unquote insurrection of January 6th uh, that that is the greatest threat to our democracy. Do you know how many people died on January 6th from unnatural causes? Just one. It was Ashley Babbitt. Uh, a former military veteran who was murdered, who was executed by a Capitol Police officer. And uh, a few windows, were, of course, were broken. 
at the Capitol, and that's the greatest threat on democracy. So one person died in the January 6th insurrection, which is a white woman named Ashley Babbitt. But of course, after George Floyd, 19 were left dead. There were 100 days straight of protests in Portland. You know, I kept expecting, as the media talked about the January 6th insurrection, I kept waiting for reports of, you know, looting, rioting, Gucci bags, Louis Vuitton bags, Chanel bags being stolen from stores, from stores being burned to the ground. Uh, but of course, none of that happened. The insurrection lasted a few hours, and a few hundred people um, enjoyed, uh, you know, a walk throughout the Capitol through their guided tours as the doors were open for them. There's video evidence of that, by the way. I'm not making that up. That's not a conspiracy. Uh, that happened. So uh, one person dead on January 6th, and it was uh, Ashley Babbitt, and 19 dead after the George Floyd two-week protests, 100 days of protests in Portland. But I'm supposed to believe that um, white supremacy is the greatest threat to our democracy. This is, a, this is an absolute uh, farce again. A myth peddled by the Democrat Party, and it's another act of discrimination. So, um, you know, BLM, Antifa, anyone on the Democrat Party who wants to light things on fire, uh, murder, beat people up in the street, beat, uh, you know, attack Rand Paul, uh, go up and shoot up a baseball field where Republicans are playing baseball, you know, that, that we can't figure out the cause of. And that was actually a story today. I, I can't remember the exact story. I'll get into it on another episode. But they still cannot determine the reason that that individual, remember a few years ago, uh, that a Bernie Sanders supporter showed up at a baseball field where the Republicans, uh, Steve Scalise was the one who was uh, almost left dead. He, he went to the hospital, he was shot, and thankfully he survived. But a Bernie Sanders supporter uh, shot him, tried to kill him, and they still can't figure out what his motivation was. I don't know, Bernie Sanders supporter that hates Americans, hates Republicans, goes to a Republican uh, event and shoots specifically at Republicans, and they can't figure out what the motivation was. Man, Democrats are either corrupt or stupid, or both. Um, so here we are, folks, uh, the January 6th myth, they cannot... Give up, And of course, we've talked ad nauseum on this program again, if you're just joining for the first time, about how the Democrat Party's utilization of the January 6th insurrection is akin to what Adolf Hitler did in Nazi Germany with the Reichstag fire. That was the fire that a uh, single communist supposed supporter, uh, he, he set the parliament building on fire in Germany, and then the Nazi Party used that uh, instance— to malign and destroy the communists. They threw them out of parliament, put them in jail. They even killed the communist leader in parliament uh, down the road. They executed him, and they accused the communists of plotting future attempts. They were, they were the uh, white supremacists of the Nazi era. So here we are. We have a new uh, Stasi um, being formed in America. So basically anyone who supports Trump, anyone who is against the left in this country is a threat to democracy. They are worthy of uh, being investigated. And all it takes is your niece, who is an indoctrinated uh, leftist Marxist in this country, who comes to Thanksgiving dinner with the family and hears you malign the Democrat Party and speak truth and talk about how dangerous they are. All it takes is that niece reporting you to the federal government now through these new channels they are going to make it so easy. Uh, you can go online and do it. 
uh, and, and report them to the government. And next thing you know, uh, you're in jail because your niece told the federal government that uh, you are a danger to democracy. So that's where we are, folks. Um, that's how dangerous the Democrat Party is. That's how sick they are. This is the latest example and proof of their totalitarianism. But of course, uh, unfortunately, too many Americans in this country don't care because uh, they believe it wholeheartedly. Um, you know, while Joe Biden goes over to the G7 and says he wishes he didn't have to leave Europe as he uh, cuts deals with uh, the communist Chinese and continues to um, create inflation in this country, make your life worse, uh, condemn Americans to poverty as the Democrat Party continues to oppose school choice and condemn minority communities to their failed school systems that give them no chance of hope or success as they continue to uh, rally behind Antifa and BLM as they destroy minority businesses, as they destroy innocent Americans' lives. Um, yes, uh, we are the ones who are the, the greatest threat to this country. Of course, that's baloney. But um, we're going to take one last short break, and we're going to end this program today uh, it's always hard to decide, well, we can only get to so much, folks, but, you know, the through line, of course, is the Marxist Democrat Party and the reality that they are the threat to this nation and uh, a danger to our future and your uh, children's future and your grandchildren's future. But when we get back, we're going to get into one last thing, because if you haven't been paying attention to this G7 summit, of course, the uh, leftist propagandist media is praising Biden for his success overseas. And, uh, well, I'm going to play some clips for you. You can decide for yourself how it's going. All right, this is your round. We'll be right back. I'm going to get in trouble with my my staff. Yeah, go ahead. I pretend that you didn't answer you. Thank you very much, sir. You have offense. Yeah, I'm going to pretend I didn't answer you. Uh, I'm going to get in trouble with my staff. I'm going to pretend I didn't answer you. That's uh, Joe Biden. So he's, uh did a press conference there and was being asked some questions from reporters. And uh, apparently he's worried about getting in trouble with his staff. How many times have you heard him now say when he's asked a question, uh, I've got to, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble with somebody. This guy's supposed to be a leader of the free world, leader of the free world. What is he worried about? Getting in trouble with somebody? Who are you going to get in trouble with, Joe? Uh, this is actually embarrassing. Obviously, of course, this is proof that he's not president of the United States, that someone else is running the show, his handlers, etc. But this is unbelievable. I'm going to get in trouble with, with, with my, my, my people. I'm going to get in trouble with my staffers. Uh, your staffers don't run the country, Joe. You do, you moron. But yeah, Joe's doing really well. He's uh, really showing an impressive display of American might and projecting that into, into the world. But uh, he here's another clip. Let's, let's, hear, let's hear what else Joe Biden had to say or do in another instance over there overseas. Together with Russia, for example, uh, in uh, in Libya, we should be opening up the the, the, the passes to be able to go through and provide uh, provide uh, um, food assistance and economic assi I mean vital assistance to uh, a population that's in real trouble. 
I think I'm going to try very much hard to. Uh, it, it is. And by the way, there's places where I shouldn't be starting off and negotiating in public here. But let me say it this way: Russia has engaged in activities which are, we believe, are contrary to international norms. But they have also um, uh, bitten off some real problems they're going to have trouble chewing on. And for example, the rebuilding of, uh, of, uh, of Syria, of, uh, of Libya, of, you know, this is, they're there. Syria, Libya, I mean, what, what's the difference, right? I mean, you know, what, it's, it's the same country practically, right? I mean, Joe, Joe has his head, <laughs> well, it's certainly not screwed on straight, <clears throat> but this guy is on an international stage and can't, can't keep track of whether he's supposed to be talking about Libya or Syria. He can't keep the two straight. Two different countries. This is shocking, folks, but we're not done yet. It's going so well. Here we go. I've said before, and I apologize to you. Oh, I didn't I tell you. I'm going to get in trouble, but anyway, but um, uh, we, um, uh, you know, there's a lot that uh, that is it's it, it, happening. I used to. What? I, I think uh, I've got some friends. Um, uh, I'm I'm gonna get in trouble here. Um, there he goes again, folks. I'm gonna get in trouble. I'm gonna get. Did you ever hear Trump once? Have you ever actually heard any president? in your lifetime, constantly say, I'm going to get in trouble? Who is your puppet master, Joe? But, I mean, that aside, the fact that he clearly is just doing what he's told and is going out with his marching orders because he doesn't have a coherent mind, he's in mental decline, who knows what's going on? I mean, this is this is the reason the 25th Amendment actually exists, to get rid of somebody like this who's a danger to our republic who doesn't even know the difference between oatmeal and cereal, who couldn't tell you what he had for breakfast 30 seconds after he scarfed it down his, his throat or his wife, Jill, blew on it and stuck it in his mouth. This is unbelievable. But apart from that, that was 30 seconds of a guy trying to formulate a coherent thought, put together and string together one single sentence. That guy didn't even get three words in to a coherent thought. This is a guy who's being filmed, he's being laughed at, he's projecting this to the Chinese, the Russians, and every other enemy out there who are laughing hysterically. They're sitting there eating their popcorn, drinking their sodas. Uh, Kim Jong-un is sitting there like, wow, this is awesome. We're going to get nukes going right now. Uh, because this guy is an absolute fraud. Uh, 80 million people supposedly voted for this guy, and uh, he's supposed to be the president of the United States who's... You know, the media, of course, is saying that America is back. This is what Joe's, Joe Biden says, too. America is back. America isn't back. America is committing suicide. America is practically dead under this guy, if that's what we're putting out there. And, of course, we have him saying, like, oh, I don't even, I love being in Europe. You know, I don't even want to go back. Well, I wish you'd stay there, Joe. I wish, actually, all you commie, you know what, in America that are in the Democrat Party, you Marxists, would go there and you'd find a great home. You don't even have to transform America. You can just go right into the system. Just move over to Venezuela 
and just take over because uh, that's the society you're trying to create in the United States. So stop trying to transform us and destroy America. Just go over to Venezuela and just do what you're doing here, there, because they won't even notice the difference because they've got dictators. They've got ruin. They've got absolute poverty and this Marxist system that produces you, the ruling elite, and everyone else equal in poverty. So there we go, folks. Now, this is the status of our country, and you won't hear any Democrats, of course, say an ill word about Joe Biden. Their heads are in the sand now. They don't talk about politics anymore. They don't mention anything. It's just white supremacy is the greatest threat to this country. Trump is still the greatest threat to this country. They cannot and will not give up their hatred of Trump, even though he's not in office anymore. And, uh, you know, the Democrat Party is frightened. They know they're going to get shellacked. Uh, they know that they are, uh, well... I mean, it's undeniable that they're absolutely clinically insane. And so, you know, they're running wild right now, trying to figure out what they're going to do. Because if they can't get H.R. 1 passed, for example, and they can't destroy the free and fair elections that we have in this country, uh, there's not a lot of hope for them. But it's important also to note that Juneteenth uh, is a new holiday now. Uh, the Senate voted uh, near unanimous, unanimously, I believe, to make Juneteenth a holiday. Meanwhile, New Jersey, uh, a, a school district out there, has eliminated holiday names, supposedly. This is the, the headline I had read, uh, you know, to create more like uh, equity. You know, you can't call out certain holidays. But of course, what that means is you're trying to destroy the whiteness of America. Juneteenth will certainly be celebrated in the school district. Uh, Black History Month will most certainly be celebrated in the school district. I cannot imagine them getting rid of that. They just got to get rid of things like July 4th, which actually unite all Americans and don't um, pander to a certain ethnic group or a gay group or anything else. You know, the American flag, which unites everyone, is bad, and the Marxist BLM flag is good, the pride flag is good, and now we have another holiday, Juneteenth. So, the Republicans in this country, I don't know what the point of the Republican Party is. That's going to be uh, our next episode. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of the worthless Republican Party that I don't know why they exist. I don't know what their purpose is. I mean, the lines are drawn in the sand. I've said it before. We're in a cold civil war. Yes, it's not violent yet. But as I mentioned with the mask mandates that I'm going to face tomorrow at work uh, for the unvaccinated versus the vaccinated, we're living in, in, in an America that has not been so divided since the Civil War. Truly. That's, that's not hyperbole. That is fact. Things have not been this severe since the Civil War. And I don't know what I have to say to get that through to some Americans' heads. It's dangerous. And the Democrat Party is forcing us off a cliff of which there can be no return. We are more divided than ever since the Civil War and is the same situation as well. There are those of us who are for freedom. And there are those of us who are for slavery. There are those of us on the right, conservatives, constitutional-loving Americans, who are pro-freedom and uh, pro-citizen and pro-unalienable rights. And there is the left in this country, which is pro-slavery again, just like they've always been, and anti-constitution. The lines are drawn in the sand. It couldn't be more clear. And uh, if the Republicans can't get their act together... Well, we don't have anyone to defend us. We don't have anyone to fight for us. And um, we're reaching a very, very dangerous, perilous time of which there is no return. And uh, look, if you're listening for the first time, God bless you. Thank you. Uh, I've said before, 
The best thing you can do if you like this show and uh, you feel informed and are having as much fun as I am, share this uh, with the people you know. The point of this program is to get the word out. The point is to highlight Marxism. The point is to help Americans understand the enemy we face and who the Democrat Party is. Because if we, can't, we cannot acknowledge the enemy, we cannot win this ideological war. Okay? Uh, so anyway, that said, I'm going to get back behind this microphone as soon as I can, especially with updates about how my uh, civil disobedience goes at work. I'll let you know if I'm fired or not. And um, let's just keep this thing going, folks. Share this with your friends. And uh, until next time. Thank you for listening. My this is well, Drew tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. Has Drew Allen. Conservative. I look to this guy for wisdom.